My name is John Sylvester. I'm a reporter with The Age newspaper. Some people call me Sly of the Underworld. There are eight million crime stories in the naked city. And this is one of them. A killer steals from a victim their life, their hopes, their future, and something else, their secrets. For the Homicide Squad, we'll often spend as much time investigating the victim as the offender to discover not only who committed the crime, but why they did it. At first glance, Darcy Wettenhall was an Australian success story. As a kid, he was virtually disowned, and he had to make his own way in life, leaving school and getting a job as a Flemington horse trapper. His future seemed set. He would work hard for little reward until his strength diminished and then would again be discarded. That is until part of his extended family, Rupert and Janet Weddinghall, took him in when he was just 15 to live on their thriving sheep farm near the historic town of Ceres on the outskirts of Geelong. The people of Ceres near Geelong are still trying to come to grips with what happened at the world-famous Danbury Stud yesterday. The Wettenhall family has been breeding prize-winning Corriedale sheep here since the 50s. The couple had worked at Echo Park, the vast sheep property of Senator James Guthrie, Rupert as the studmaster and Janet as the Senator's private secretary. In 1952, they started Stanbury, a 280-hectare property, and paid record prices for some of Guthrie's Corridale flock. Darcy was only supposed to stay on the property temporarily, but soon was considered part of the extended family. When Rupert died in South America during a business trip, the industry expected Janet to sell up. But with the eager-to-learn Darcy, 30 years her junior, they carried on. Darcy proved to be a ruthless businessman and a gifted sheep breeder with a perfectionist streak. As a sheep breeder, there's probably none more astute. As a person who was prepared to contribute to the industry, he was always there at anyone's call. They built Stanbury to the best Corridale breeding farm in the world, so much so that in 1990, international breeders travelled to Stanbury for a seminar. The property won the coveted Corridale Ram Trophy 28 times. Darcy married Jan MacDonald and had a son, Guy. The marriage would end badly and Darcy would get custody of their son. Jan recalls how they met, their romance, and how it went sour. How I met Darcy, I was in a sheep pen and um, he came along and I knew the wet and halls because we were sheep breeders too. That was how I met him. And there was a phone call to one of my friends and it was Darcy to see whether she'd go to the wool ball and the sheep dinner with him. And she was going out with someone else. So he said, oh, what about Jan McDonald? He was very attentive. He'd arrived with violets and had picked every one for you. And then when I went out to the homestead, um, the housekeeper said to me, oh, so you're the one that that I picked the flowers for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said he was he was pretty good at manipulating people. Oh, yes, yes. Also, he, he wasn't very careful with the truth. The relationship just cruised along. The next thing, Darcy was up visiting us and we were water skiing and my sister-in-law said, um, oh, Darcy's come to pop the question. <laughs> I just cruised into that relationship and that marriage. So how how old were you when you when you got married? I was 21, 21 going on 16, I think. 
Now, you said that things changed once the guy arrived. Yes, well, I can remember um, coming home from the hospital and Darcy saying to me, things are not going to be the same between us now. The next thing was he came off the phone, whether he was on the phone or not, I'm not sure, saying that the paediatrician had said that you're not going to be breastfeeding anymore. Of course, I rang the paediatrician. No, 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 of course, of course you're not. You're going to be breastfeeding. And then he had also decided that I was going to have a nanny to look after Guy. So that's how things really changed. You were saying you think that that was the whole purpose. He just wanted a son, an heir. I do, I do. And he, he became quite cruel to you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's another story. And, and eventually you did leave him? I, I did. I was losing weight and I had really low blood pressure and I used to faint. I, I just was too scared to come home. But one, one day my brother rang and... I think I must have been having a snooze in the middle of the day. That was alarm bells to my family. My dad was actually in Queensland looking at land and he just said, get her and Guy on a plane to Queensland. So that's when I left. To the outside world, Darcy had jettisoned his troubled past. Now he was the best in his chosen profession. His stock attracted record prices and he was a key figure in the local squadocracy. But Darcy Wettenhall had his demons. He was a homosexual at a time when, at least he felt, his sexuality needed to be hidden. He'd been in a long-term relationship with another local man that he tried to hide from the world. A prominent Melbourne figure who had never bothered to hide his sexual preferences told me once, I feel so sorry for thousands of men who back then lived miserable lives, trying to pretend there was something they weren't always terrified someone would find out. Were you aware that Darcy was um, sort of sexually conflicted? Um, No, not at all. But in retrospect, I just wondered. There were so many sort of strange things that happened. So I think that he was in conflict with someone because one night we arrived home and the tractor lights were on in the shed and another day I arrived home and the front doors open and the back doors open. So I, I think that there was, there was something going on. But Darcy was not just a victim of his time. He was a predator. Wettenhall would travel to Melbourne to pick up young homeless men, often using the Salvation Army's Gill Memorial Hostel as a recruiting ground. He would offer them an alternative to the city's unforgiving streets, a job in the outdoors, accommodation, a wage and a future. Locals believed he was trying to repay the act of kindness offered to him by his extended family. He would take in young men with petty criminal records and try to give them purpose. The high turnover of casual workers they put down to Wittenhall's perfectionist streak, his occasional savage temper and the wanderlust of some of the young men. What they didn't know was Wettenhall was hitting on them for sex. All this probably would have remained a secret if Darcy had not headed to Melbourne on New Year's Day 1992 to find another target, Wayne Walton. In some ways, Walton and Wettenhall had similar backgrounds. Discarded as teenagers and left to fend for themselves, 
but for the younger man, there was never really a second chance. As a boy, he'd seen his sister murdered at the hands of their father. His life followed the depressing, familiar cycle of those from shattered and abusive backgrounds. Convictions for theft and drink driving, jail stints between moving from town to town and state to state, arriving in Melbourne in December 1991 for yet another new start. Aged 23, he moved into Stanbury Workers' Cottage and stayed there for a couple of months. He would later tell police he declined Wetton Hall's proposition of sex and eventually moved out to a Geelong caravan park. He continued to work at Stanbury and his relationship with Darcy Wettenhall remained stable enough to occasionally borrow a car. He particularly liked Janet Wettenhall, who he called Jack. He, he was recruiting young men, um, vulnerable men, I think it's fair to say, to come and work on the farm. And uh, I think Wayne was one of those, wasn't he? That's right. So during the investigation, what we were told that Darcy would um, go around to places such as the Salvation Army or where people were down and out and he would offer them uh, employment on his farm. Some would say that he was generous in offering work and I think there was a there was some part to that as well. But I think he also took an advantage of some of those people as well for his sexual desires. And, and Wayne was one of those? Wayne was. like he, Wayne said in the interview that nothing happened between him and Darcy, but that Darcy approached him for sexual favours. Um, how far that went, I don't know. That's this, Two people know about that and sadly both of them are dead. Homicide investigator Paul O'Halloran, who would later lead Walton through a remarkable confession, wonders whether the troubled man resented Guy, the same age as Walton, who was the handsome son who seemed to live a privileged life. I think there was some resentment of Guy. I got that feeling in the interview that he felt that Guy had a privileged life, had a good life, had a future, and maybe Wayne didn't see that in himself. Guy had been educated at a private school, later trained as a plumber, before returning to the property to follow in the family's tradition to become an expert Corridale sheep breeder. While Walton was welcomed to the property, he always felt he was on the outside looking in. He only ventured into the 100-year-old homestead once, that is, until he burst in carrying three firearms to kill them all. O'Halloran and his crew were assigned the job and went to the crime scene to discover the horror of a triple murder. The grim discovery was made by a neighbour investigating why the engine of a car in the driveway was left running for more than an hour. She first found the body of a 22-year-old man on the veranda, not realising there were others inside, all with gunshot wounds. There's a, there's a, a young man uh, in his mid-twenties yep. on the front veranda, a 50-year-old male, also deceased in the building, in the, in the uh, farmhouse, and an elderly female deceased in bed, and they've all been shot. At the time, it was a uh, pretty ghastly scene, actually. Um, so, um, sadly, a guy was just on the back veranda um, and had been obviously uh, shot with a high-powered firearm. And Darcy was inside, I recall, in the hallway, and then Janet was uh, in her bedroom. And it was very unusual uh, to have three, a, a, what we would call a triple murder, three people being killed um, at any time, horrendous, and it was, it was a very confronting scene. Paul was later to discover that Darcy, 50, was the real target, while Janet, 81, and Guy, 23, were just caught in the storm. 
Thanks for listening to Naked City and thanks to the people who took the time to leave a review. I particularly like this one. Love listening to Sly's voice, a soothing, dulcet tiptoe through the nightmares on Melbourne streets. Producer is a genius too. Give her a pay rise. And that's from Tammy Mills of Melbourne. I wonder who she is. Could it be the same Tammy Mills who's been the producer of this show? No, that would just be self-interest. If you want to subscribe to The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, and you really should, there's links in the show notes. Click on them and get with the program. When did you have a bit of a sniff of who would have been a likely suspect? Well, I mean, obviously the first thing to know who's associated with the property and who'd been at the property. So there was a list of names of people who had either worked at the property or still worked at the property, and we were working away through those names and trying to account for those people. So it wasn't too far into the piece that we established that Wayne Walton had worked at the property and we hadn't been able to find him at that stage. So it didn't take all that long, probably in about the first 24 hours. One of the property's cars was missing and immediately Walton became a person of interest. And Wayne was a, a, a troubled man. Yes, he was an Indigenous man, quite young, 22, 23 years of age. Uh, I met his mother, Beryl, a lovely woman. And, uh, you know, Wayne had been present during a family tragedy uh, where his um, sister had been killed. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was damaged goods. When he was found by police a day later, O'Halloran's team interviewed him, and after initial denials, he soon readily confessed. He uh, was originally, just for a short period, didn't really want to say too much about it, didn't want to talk about what had occurred in its series, but it, but very quickly he, he opened up. I would have to say it was one of the most frank accounts by an offender that I've ever dealt with in my nearly 40 years in the police force. He was flown back to the crime scene by helicopter, the peaceful landscape of the sheep property such a contrast to the violence below. Walton took Halloran and other investigators through what happened without trying to mitigate what he'd done. When Paul asks, what were you thinking, Walton says, my head was going 100 miles an hour. I wanted a gun to blow him, that's Darcy, away. The amicable interview goes from the gravel drive to where the station guns were kept and then to the homestead where he shot and killed the three. It's only when you see the blood in the bedroom you're reminded that this is real, this is shocking, and this was deadly. So he, he said that when he arrived back in Darcy's car that, that he saw a light go on, which was in Darcy's bedroom. Um, Darcy came out and saw him, and in Wayne's words, um, that Darcy abused him. Now, if, if, if I'm Darcy, where am I standing? Can you see? Standing right there. About here? Yeah, and I'm just here talking. You know, right, like now, what's, what's Darcy saying to you? Says, well, where the fuck have you been? And Where's my fucking car? What are you pringing up? So now I snap out of it, Darcy, I haven't done nothing, or I'm sorry for being so late. How upset was Darcy? Fuming. I think Wayne said he was just going up the shops or something to get some car repairs done on, on another vehicle he had, and uh, he disappeared for about 24-plus hours. Wayne then claimed that, uh, you know, Darcy uh, abused his girlfriend at the time and was calling her some derogatory remarks. 
Then what sort of things was he saying about her? Oh, she's a dog, you know, and shouldn't be with her. And it's just, you know, um, I just, you know, just raving on shit, you know, and, and that's all. I think Wayne used the term that he just got really angry, he just saw, basically saw red and said, I'll fix you up, Darcy, and, and he just it took off from there. After he said those words to you, how no, did you... No, as soon as he mentioned his girlfriend again, I said, well, fuck you, Darcy. I'll fix you up, you bastard. What was your immediate thoughts then when he said well, that? I was going to get the gun. Did you want to kill him? Oh, I fucking know if I did. Yeah, right. Let's, we'll uh, continue on. And where are the firearms at the rack that you were telling me about? That's the rack just there. And all the rifles were sitting along it. And I walked down this way. Right, we'll just, we'll just go slowly. And... With the shot in my hand, just holding the trigger. Down on the ground, ready just to shoot at one arm. With the other two guns in this hand, threw the second gun down here. Right. And, and I put the shot in my, my arms properly like this, you know, it's ready to use it. Right, and, now you're heading towards the house, what are you thinking now? That's just going to blow him away. Like he obviously was very, very um, compliant because he goes to the scene and does a reconstruction which is almost surreal. Yeah, well he, 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 he a couple of things about Wayne Walton was that Despite the horrendous act that occurred, he was extremely polite and, as I said, extremely frank. And he just he just says it as it occurred. I've come here. You, say if I stand where Darcy was standing. Perhaps you can... Well, this was Darcy. Don't Wayne. Boom. What, what was it? What? Don't Wayne. Boom. He's so he's saying here. don't Wayne. And it's as he's saying don't... Yeah. Bloom away. What? He went flying into the lounge room here. On the there? corridor, right there where the where car had been taken up. Just here? Yeah, it? laying on his side. Right. And that's when Guy come running in. I'm here, just blew him away. Turned around, boom. Right. Him, he's gone back out the door what, again. Do you see where that shot hit him? Oh, in the gut, because it's here. So yeah. And you're that close? Yeah, just boom, boom. What was the time delay or time? It's no time delay. It was just a matter of going... He was... Coming in and grabbing it, kind of thing, but it's too late. And what did, what were you thinking when you when you shot? Uh, well, uh, I'm not going to get caught, you know, kind of thing. You know? Sorry, you were saying what? I'm not going to get caught by him anyway, you know. Right. Okay. What about? So I blew him away. Then did he go which direction after he shot? He's flying backwards, right, out the door. And then I've walked in with Jack screaming. Did you kick the door? Boom. Yeah. And shot her. Right. And as you shot her. Was was she seated on the bed, standing? She was getting up out of bed. Getting up out of bed. What? Why did you shoot her? Uh, I think God knows that question. And what were you thinking at the time? Uh, red. According to his reconstruction, the first time Wayne thinks about what he's done is when he's driving away in Darcy's stolen Commodore. You've driven up in the Commodore, somewhere up that direction. Yeah. And you said you've stopped because you were concerned of being stopped. Yeah, yeah. Why stopped. was that? Oh, well, <laughs> first degree murder. Why wouldn't you want to be concerned? You were that's, concerned if you were in Darcy's yeah, car? That's when I got back into training and that's when I started thinking, you know, what have I done and all this shit, you know? Yeah, and what did you do then? Well, that's when I tossed the guns before I'd done anything else. All right, and you drove the Toronto up that direction yeah. and to where? Going up to the main road? The main road and turn right and going into town that way. All right, well, we'll continue this. Um, 
Um, at this point of time... Jan, Guy's mother and Darcy's ex-wife, describes when she first heard about her son's murder. And, you know, we come to the, you know, the terrible time of, of the murders. Um, and obviously you weren't living there at, at the time. Um, do, do you recall how you found out? I, I do, I do, just like yesterday. I was going out to dinner with a friend, but then another friend rang me and said there's been three people shot out of Geelong. He'd been watching the five o'clock news. He said, look, I'm coming over. I said, no, look, I'm, I, it's okay, I've got a friend coming. And he said, well, look, I'll stay on the phone. And he stayed on the phone till the six o'clock news. And then it just became so apparent to me um, the, the um, Stanbury Corridale stud um, sign and, and I knew then that, that, that it was a guy. Wayne Walton would never stand trial. Wayne Gary Walton, 24, who was in a form of protective custody, had used the cord from a jug to hang himself. Prison officers made the discovery at 8am when inmates were released from their cells. You know, I didn't feel any sort of sense of relief or otherwise. I just felt sadness. I thought, you know, what a tragedy. Now there's four people dead and for what? That just was a very sad case. Um, yeah, as I said, I met his, I met his mother, uh, Beryl, and she's a, she was a, a lovely lady and, uh, again, someone else damaged on, uh, out of all of this. Paul O'Halloran, who has locked up plenty of murderers, still has sympathy for Walton, knowing he was also a victim. Um, you know, I'm a grandfather now, John, and, um, you know, I, I look at my grandchildren in, in situations. Now, if the parents are, or parents or their carers are, are doing crimes and all sorts of things, well, that's, that's their life, that's their world. So that guidance and support is really important. Jan MacDonald is a campaigner for children's rights, believing it's only by protecting children that we're able to protect ourselves. She believes that ultimately Darcy Wettenhall and his killer, Wayne Walton, didn't stand a chance. I think, Jan, it's a, a, a passion of yours about the, um, the need for us to look after our kids so that this doesn't get repeated. Exactly. Um, even Darcy, I believe his, his upbringing uh, had a lot to do with who he was. Um, yes, anything that we can do, I think that's the area where we need to focus. Thanks for listening to Naked City. We're going to take a break for a few weeks while the production team and I enjoy some sunshine. But don't worry, we'll be back with the second half of the season very soon. And in the meantime, remember to slip, slop and slap. This episode of Naked City was presented by me, John Sylvester, production by Margaret Gordon, and archives thanks to Nine. Nathaniel Cooper is executive producer, and Tom McKendrick is head of audio. And Barnes Wallace invented the bouncing bomb. <laughs>